0: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
1: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end
0: up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How are you doing there? It's David. It's podcast time. We're having a little giggle here, which is always good. I hope you're well. I hope you're deal. I hope you're safe. I hope you're uh, avoiding. <laughs> Stop giggling you, for <laughs> God's, God's sake. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's podcast time. John, we're going to kick off with a couple of questions, I think. A couple of questions. Let's yeah. get
2: into a couple of questions. How are you doing anyway?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Look, it's all a bit, it's kind of a bit creepy, the COVID thing, you know, but it's, it will pass. I mean, the,
2: all these things pass and it will pass. Yeah, it will. It will. It's just, it, for me, it was that thing of, I don't know about you, I find it really difficult to Get into stuff. Get motivated at the moment. I
0: think. I think you're not alone. I think you're not alone. And you know what? Later on, we're going to be talking to Professor Eva Michaelis. Yes, the professor of genetics. But she's also part of this group that believe that the elimination of the disease is possible. So let's talk about that in a little okay, while. Good, okay.
2: Good. 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 Good.
0: What are the questions on Patreon? A couple of questions from who for you. and what do they want to talk
2: about? Let's start with Stephen Mulvaney. Mulvena, maybe. I hope I pronounce it right, Stephen. Everybody's printing money because they are no longer tied to the gold standard. But is it a time to go back to a unit of account after the vaccination? Magic can't last forever. It's an interesting question, Stephen. How are you? Good to have you on board. One thing that's been
0: quite interesting the last couple of weeks, John, even the last couple of days, has been the extraordinary performance of Bitcoin. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. That's oh, wild. We just missed a trick, Mike. Right. We always miss a trick, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, and so, of course, part of Bitcoin's allure is the fact that they have called it digital gold. That it, they think Bitcoin devotees believe that it performs the same role as gold does, i.e. it is a unit of account that only a certain amount of, can be produced because of this algorithm that defines it, yeah. and consequently its value will go up. This is the kind
2: of stuff that Max Kaiser was banging Max on. Max Kaiser,
0: it. all those guys, and actually, yeah. the funny thing is, and I've actually lost that Max Kaiser interview I did with him in Argentina. Seems like a long, long time ago, like yeah. twelve. Should we we'll get him back on? We we'll get him back on, Max. If you're listening, I know you've got your spies. We will get you back on, man. And don't be so grumpy on Twitter either, by the way. <laughs> now, but the Bitcoin guys say, look, why gold? Has these properties is that there's only a fixed amount of it in the world, and actually, if you really want to get into gold, there's a great book by Peter Bernstein on the history of gold. Brilliantly written, excellent stuff. Anyway,
2: are you the, are you listening, Joe? Do you have mates who's who's a gold boy? Joe, yeah, he's the prepper.
0: Okay, fair enough.
2: Joe, Joe, at least he's
0: not the fluffer. <laughs> anyway, anyway, he could be that too. Who knows? Stephen, to go back to Stephen's point. There is a sense of the world unhinged, not just because... I mean, the, the gold standard was gone. The Bretton Woods was the end of the gold standard, which is 1972. So it's a long time ago. Yeah, We've been on paper money for a long time. But I'll give you a statistic. One dollar in every five that exists in the world has been printed in the last 12 months. I think what? of that. One dollar in every five?
2: five
0: that exists in the world has been printed by the Fed in the last 12 months alone, that is how big the money printing is, that is how significant. And that will, I presume, lead Stephen to ask the question, can this go on indefinitely? What is the cost of this? The cost of it, and again, likewise, the Bitcoin guys are saying, as what they call fiat money loses its value, gold, proxy gold, digital gold, like Mm. Bitcoin, accelerates in value. And there's no arguing that's what's happened. What Stephen's saying is that, can this go on forever, the printing of money? Uh, I think there's no easy answer to this, Stephen, and it's sometimes a little bit ideological as to where you stand. And a lot of gold bugs are very much people who believe that money has to have intrinsic value. But there's another interesting value, Stephen, in money, which is called use value, which is that money is no use. It's only of value if you can use it, if everyone can use it. So it's this very strange sort of idea that the euros in your pocket are intrinsically worthless, but they're only worthwhile because all of us have succumbed to a collective belief Mm. that this piece of paper is worth something. And maybe if you keep printing it, that belief will become eroded because there's too much of it around. I don't think, Stephen, to answer your question, we're going to go back to the gold standard. I don't think we're going to go back to some unit of account that is fixed in value, but I do think that there will be a huge effort on the part of central banks over the next five or six years to try and rebalance the economy, to take out what they would call the surplus dollars, and how they do this is what's called open market operations. It's a bit of a technical thing, Stephen, in central banking that basically the central bank takes money out of the system. The easiest way to do this is, of course, is to raise interest rates. But there is a fear, you might remember, and go back to our discussion with David Rosenberg of about two months ago, where there is a fear that if you raise interest rates when there's so much debt around, that in fact the debt pyramid will collapse. So basically what is happening, Stephen, is there's four or five competing factors. My sense, though, is that this is my sense is that the central banks will continue to print money for quite some time to come. Is there a day of reckoning at the end? Maybe, but I'm not too sure. Uh,
2: sorry, is this a stupid question if I ask... No question, John. It's, well, but, apart from what, some of the ones you... Yes. Down, down the but what is surplus money? Like, all money is is useful and used. So it's, it's money that
0: is not necessary to keep the economy... At this level of growth. So imagine that... Says who? Well, that's a very good question. Imagine that they need, at any... So, for example, a good indication of surplus money would be negative interest rates. Okay. When interest rates are negative, okay. it means yeah. there's actually too much money around. Yeah, gotcha. So what you want to do is you want to go to positive interest rates. And the reason you want to go to positive interest rates is that if money should have a value, the rate of interest should be positive. Right. right? And the reason being because money has some value. If the rate of interest yeah. is negative, then money has no value. So this is what Stephen's grappling okay, with. Okay, yeah, yeah, And it yeah, is yeah. kind of tricky stuff. It is very tricky stuff. My own sense is that, and I know it's probably not going to sound uh, very definitive, Stephen, but I'm somewhere in the middle on these discussions. I don't believe <laughs> wishy-washy. that... wishy-washy. I know. <laughs> centrist dad. That's me, centrist dad. <laughs> Hope that asked your question, Stephen.
2: Okie jokey. On to the next one. And actually, this is very relevant to what we're going to be talking about in a little bit. This one is from Katrina Sheridan. And uh, she says... The GEA is the best infrastructure for deployment uh, of, the vaccine. Uh, of the vaccine.
0: Okay, good, interesting. Why idea. don't we
2: build an open digital booking system for appointments? You know, basically, go to your local gaA club. Could be manned by GAA volunteers, etc. Anyone who can hold and administer a, a syringe, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, think that's, that's Katrina. So it's Katrina, yeah. how yeah, are yeah.
0: you, Katrina? Hope all is well. You know, it's interesting. We, we talked to Dan Ariely last week about the Israeli approach. And when I was doing a little bit of research for that, I was Googling online about the Israeli approach and they had like drive-in vaccine. They've drive-in. Mm. So you drive in to give you jabs. like drive-in McDonald's to give you jabs. Yeah, you go, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think, Katrina, the only downside in that suggestion is that the vaccine that we are using now, the Pfizer vaccine, has got a temperature dilemma. It has to be stored at very, very low temperatures. However, the Oxford vaccine, the one that the British are using, does not. It can be stored Mm -hmm. at, at room temperature. So, interesting, we're going to get onto this, Katrina, but you're right. The vaccine dilemma is twofold. One is a production dilemma. Is there enough out there? But in terms of actually getting it done and getting it into the system here and getting people vaccinated, it's a distribution dilemma. And it's very clear that the Israelis are basically avoiding vaccinating in in big hospitals and they're disseminating down to the locality. Mm. So, they're saying, okay, how many people live in this locality? Away we go. And therefore, you're absolutely right, the GAA is an infrastructure that could be used if we use the Oxford vaccine. Local dentists, local pharmacists, local doctors, there is the potential to do it here. The question then is how do we roll it out and do we have this, what they would call supply chain problem? that if we were to go through hospitals, then it'll be chaos. But I think, Katrine that seems like a fairly sensible idea if we were going to use the Oxford vaccine. Yeah. So I want to talk now to Professor Aoife McLeisett, really, really fascinating person, great fun, but she's part of a scientific group that believe that we can eliminate disease still and that we should go into full lockdown now in order to be able to come out and then to manage... The situation like the New Zealanders. So why don't we talk to Aoife and then we're going to come okay. back with the vaccine. Aoife, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: Aoife, like, how did we become the worst in the world in terms of COVID?
1: Yeah, it's pretty disastrous. Um, it's not totally clear. I mean, it's partly a bit of bad luck, I think, you know, just to be fair. You know, somebody had to be worse and it happens to be us right now. But we did have a lot of things that piled up on top of each other in the month of December. You know, we came out of our second lockdown with the cases still quite high. That's the first thing. You know, we we had our plan, which was to get them down to about 100, which wasn't a good enough plan, in my opinion, but that was the initial plan and they didn't get down there. So we opened up when the cases were too high. Then um, this opening up gave people permission and invitation, in fact, to start moving around and doing things. You know, what's the point in opening up social venues if it isn't to go there and to socialize? So, and then there was Christmas and I think, and then on Christmas and the couple of days around Christmas, a lot of people had home visits. So those people had had the opportunity over the previous few weeks to pick up an infection in one of these retail or social places, or just out and about wherever, you know, all the extra movement that was happening. So they were just much more likely to bring an infection into their house. And then what we see now is that there's a lot of the infection is spreading within families which does suggest that it's um you know people brought it into their family and then it spread within families. So this is really bad news obviously for those families. The optimistic spin on that if you want to look for this it's it's a strange kind of optimism okay. is that that kind of activity was maybe isolated to the 3 days around Christmas and that extraordinary peak should fade naturally but that will bring us back down to just the the ordinary bad, which was what was happening in the background throughout December.
0: Okay, so I think that's a very good departure point. Okay, so it seems to be located in families. The reason, you know, if most countries kind of opened up, you know, some less loose, some tighter, but we just seem to have opened up and the consequences for us have been appalling in comparison. But there are still not that many people dying. That's what I would want to talk to you in a sec, you know, the the, the, the difference between the the caseload and the actual deaths. But what, let's talk about the launch. There, you're saying, if we are lucky, we could isolate those families. You get that spike, that spike, then that spike then dissipates. What would you and your colleagues like to see now, and what's the objective?
1: I think the objective is to get down to a very low caseload per day, something like less than ten cases per day, because the Idea would be that that is something that we can manage with non lockdown interventions. We can manage it in other ways. So we'd avoid going into future lockdowns. So, how do we do this? We need this lockdown to be very effective and strict. And the stricter it is, the faster it will be. So, the shorter it can be. The indications are at the moment that it isn't really a very good lockdown. One of those metrics is if you look at traffic, for example, on the main major roads, traffic on the major roads is not what it was. After the school closure in March, for example, it's what it was before the school closure. So after we the, the alarm was sounded, but before the schools were closed and it wasn't enough then to get things under control, that level of activity, it's probably not enough now to get things under control. So we need to have a more strict lockdown. I think people need to follow it more completely. We see that people are not staying within their five kilometres, for example. So there are rules there that people aren't following. And we need to think about when we get those numbers low, how do we keep them low? So that's resourcing public health doctors properly. We know what we're supposed to do there. We have the Scally report. You know, it's been it's been done. You know, what, what does public health need in Ireland? And we need to start quarantining international travellers. We need to turn off the supply. Okay, tell me,
0: is the, is the sort of cleverness of this virus, the fact that it actually incubates for a long time and it's asymptomatic for a number of weeks, is that why this is so particularly able to blindside people?
1: So asymptomatic spread does uh, is a problem, or the pre-symptomatic spread. Yes, know, sorry, people, pre-symptomatic. Um, um, spreading, well, both of those things happen, spreading before they know they're going to get symptoms. Um, so that does mean yeah, that people can be innocently going around and inadvertently infecting people. And I think that's one of the reasons why people can't rely on their own judgment of themselves, do I feel sick? You can't use that as a metric to decide whether it's okay for you to go out and do something. You have to just presume you and everybody you meet is sick. And that is a very, that that, that presumption is getting more and more accurate. So I heard yesterday that one in 36 of 19 to 24 year olds are infected at the moment. That's an extraordinarily high number. And those individuals, of course, are doing things and they're working and some of them are working, caring for older people and all of these kind of things. So it's a real problem at the moment. And you really should presume that you and everybody you meet is probably infected. And that will be your safest assumption at the moment.
0: Okay. Now let's talk about the other side. I mean, there's many people watch the telly every night and they're particularly depressed by the relentless coverage of the caseload Mm -hmm. and what they are really also quite upset about is the lack of coverage on the vaccine. And obviously when your caseloads rise, it means your rollout of your vaccine must be much more urgent because you actually, you're facing into the problem. Is the deficiency in public health medicine also what is driving this lack of transparency on the vaccine?
1: So the transparency on the vaccine, so, you know, announcing how many vaccinations have taken place, that has been promised now. So let's see. It it was promised a couple of weeks ago by or maybe a week ago. Time is passing so fast by um, Stephen Donnelly. But um, so that should come. The people who are in charge of the vaccine rollout have said, you know, we wanted to make sure to get it right and to make sure that everybody felt confident. and those things are important we wouldn't need to be rushing with the vaccine if our caseload was a bit more under control. So there's that as well. And it's a little, I sometimes think, you know, some people you're going to go, some people are hard to please, aren't they? Because the vaccine production and the development of this vaccine went so extraordinarily fast. And for some people, nothing's fast enough. You know, we were very lucky to have a vaccine produced and available and manufactured in all of the steps involved in that so quickly. But I mean, it's good to have the announcement and the transparency of the vaccine numbers hopefully that might give people something to cheer but the caseload numbers are also important it's it's important that people don't think this is over and it's important that people are aware that we all do need to be careful it is depressing and i'm 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 tired of it and fed up of it myself in many ways i wish it was over but i think it is important information as well
0: no no because i mean you're absolutely right but you know in all diseases prevention which is our lockdown which and there's cure Right. And, you know, you can't, you can't disentangle them. And I do remember Mike Ryan at the WHO saying last March, when you're hit with this type of virus, the perfect should never bully the good. So don't wait until you have the perfect solution. Just do it as well as you can. And when I hear about the vaccine, don't wait until everything is absolutely perfect just do it as well as you can because to take the Mike Ryan view, the perfect is never really perfect. You never get there and the good is good enough. So can I ask you about the vaccine itself? And I'm going to want to come back to the lockdown and to the... Let's say the the two-month view that you and your scientific friends and your colleagues have and where we might get to if we get this right, okay? Because I I do want to look at this because in all this depression, I want people to think, well, okay, there is a way out. But can you also expect, uh, put on your genetics hat now, your professor of (laughs) genetics hat. Yeah. Tell me about the excitement or the upside in this new Pfizer vaccine that plays with our genes and plays with our proteins. Explain that to me.
1: So Yeah, so this is a new type of vaccine technology, so that's very exciting. And so I think people will have heard mRNA now. They'll have heard this this little phrase. So mRNA is a thing that's naturally in our cells all the time anyway. So the M stands for messenger. So it's messenger RNA. And I think everybody knows about DNA. So RNA is just a slightly different chemical variant of the same thing, naturally there. And it's a message that's carried from our DNA, from our genes, and into the main part of the cell where it is the instructions to build a protein. So what they've done with this vaccine is it contains the mRNA, the message with the instructions to build the virus spike protein, which is this protein that sticks out of the virus. And if you were to be infected naturally, because that virus spike protein sticks out, it's the thing that your body learns to recognize to make antibodies against and then next time attack it very efficiently so that um, you're immune. So what the vaccine is doing is saying, it's okay, we're delivering the ins- not the protein, but the instructions for the protein, the messenger RNA, that gets taken up by the cells in your body that are naturally cleaning up. Um, you know, you have all these cells in your body, they're naturally cleaning things up and gobbling up stuff. It gets gobbled up by one of these um, cells that's part of your immune system that gobbles up foreign bodies. And because it's a messenger RNA and it looks like an ordinary messenger RNA, it gets translated then into a protein. So the virus spike protein gets produced, it gets presented to the immune system and the immune system then learns to make antibodies against this virus spike protein without you ever having had the virus in your body, without you ever having had exposure and getting sick. So this is a new type of vaccine technology. Other types of vaccine technology would be giving you, older types would have been giving you something like a kind of a weakened version of the virus. So one that will be enough to look like the virus, looks like the virus, but doesn't make you sick kind of thing, or a dead version of the virus or something like that. And that technology is slower. It's a slower manufacturing process. So for example, the flu vaccine every year is grown inside chicken eggs, which is why people who are allergic to eggs will be advised not to get the flu vaccine. So, and that takes time, you know. So you're you're physically growing it in big, big factory loads of eggs, um, whereas this one can be manufactured more in like what seems more like a chemical manufacturing process.
0: What is always intriguing about science and diseases and viruses is that, and it is amazing that the men and the women in the white coats have come up with so much extraordinary innovation in such a short period of time. But the unintended positive consequences of the amount of effort going in to fight this vaccine is a sort of a biotech shift, a kind of a once in a generation shift that might not have happened in the absence of COVID, okay, in terms of the energy, the resources, the money that's put into it. Now, in terms of other sorts of diseases like cancer, for example, what are the biotech consequences of this innovation in yeah. COVID?
1: Well, I'll just jump in on one of the things you said there. It's not that this wouldn't have happened in the absence of COVID. And it's very important to remember that this couldn't have happened, except for the fact that people were working on these kind of things anyway. So the okay. thing is okay. that people were ready to go. There's there was a lot of work going on and you know, in science, we talk about what they call basic research, which is, you know, trying to explore new things. And a few years ago, the idea of an mRNA and messenger RNA-based vaccine was quite, fant- like, it was a fantasy, you know? So, and and it turns out its time came just at the right moment and we were extremely lucky, but that's because of advanced investment and, you know, an advanced work that's been going on. But there are all kinds of things that can happen, like, you know, in terms of, so you mentioned then um, cancer, And cancer therapies, of course, this is one of the um, areas that a lot of people are very interested in making progress in because it is such a common um, disease and affects so many people. And that is another area where there have been extraordinary advances. So now, for example, one of the things that is done is that if somebody has a cancer, so cancer is essentially um, some cells that are growing out of control. And usually they'll be growing out of control because they have some kind of genetic mutation within those cells. So one of the things that happens now more and more is that the, the cells from the cancer are specifically sequenced, and you can compare, you say, what has what specifically has changed in these cancer cells compared to the cells in the rest of the body? So you can start, and that helps in multiple ways. And um, one of the ways is you might be able to identify specific things to target. So like you know, you you want to tar- you want to have a target that can kill the cancer cells and not the the good cells. So once you recognize what's different in these cancer cells, you can target that. And the other thing is, that can potentially happen there as well is understanding the steps along the way to from an ordinary cell transforming into a cancer cell. So there's multiple ways that things can improve there and this is a lot of this is information gathering and interpretation and just adding to our whole body of knowledge, and it is it is an extraordinary time in terms of biology and in terms of understanding the the underlying genetics and biochemistry of a lot of these different things, and there is there's huge um, scope for very successful um, strategies coming and some cancers so you know you know cancer is a funny word because we use it like it's one thing but it's different cancers are very different from each other and some specific cancers do already have quite good progress in terms of um therapies that are really very targeted to that cancer and are very very effective and there's this idea that's increasingly growing that's called personalized medicine which is where um you know, some people maybe what what's needed more in future is not some mass market thing but something that is designed for you for what is specifically going on in your body and um that is something that is increasingly becoming plausible as well so the the progress of the technology is quite incredible
0: well i mean i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna come back and, and discuss uh, later on this the idea of the emergence of biology as the dominant or the potentially dominant science in the 21st century, as opposed to arguably physics and, and or whatever, in the 20th century. But let us conclude on your vision for what could be done here with respect to COVID, with the lockdown, the next six to eight weeks and what you see is possible with a firm lockdown.
1: So with a really good firm lockdown, we should get our numbers really under control. So I, it's possible to get them down to something like single digits if there's the commitment there to do that. The thing that I'm worried about, by contrast, is that you know as soon as we start getting down to a few hundred again, people will start asking to ease up because they will be fed up with the lockdown, like they were fed up in the beginning of December and we opened up. So if we do these things, we can get the numbers under control, then we can control them with these other mechanisms, non-lockdown, like I mentioned already, public health measures and these kind of things and we could live a comfortable life for the rest of 2021 while we are waiting for the vaccine rollout to be completed. Um, I would love that to be at level zero so that we could have things like electric picnic and festivals and rugby matches happening. That would take a bit more commitment and people might not be up for that. But if we could get to something like level one, which on on the government's five level plan, that would be a much more comfortable existence than this level five, level three um, you know, ping pong that we're going on at the moment. And it's something that we could keep as a stable situation for the rest of the time until the vaccine is available. And that would be much, much preferable. Not only would it be more comfortable for people in terms of their everyday lives, we'd also be talking about saving a lot of lives in terms of the deaths from this disease taking the pressure off the hospitals and then all the secondary effects in terms of, you know, people who are dying from non-COVID things or their non-COVID care being put off because of the strain on the hospital. So um, all of these things will be better and we can have a, a more comfortable life. Maybe we can have hugs again.
0: Aoife, <laughs> we will leave it there. Professor Aoife Said thank you so much for chatting to us. And we'll actually come back to the extraordinary innovation in biotech at a certain stage when hopefully... This thing has passed. So
1: talk to you soon, Aoife. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: So John, I mean, EFA there, I I think most people now would go for the full lockdown quite happily.
2: Well, there's no choice.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like that, that idea that, you know, it's a halfway house and this, I think people have been so shocked by what happened. And and even the nefford guys weren't predicting this type of spike. Even the most, you know,
2: cautious, yeah, yeah. cautious, but, but here's the thing here's the thing and we've been speaking about this for the past year <laughs> jeez isn't that amazing actually <laughs> <laughs> what
0: are you <laughs> talking about is but COVID? I've,
2: I've always had this thing about the lockdown i hate the lockdowns everybody hates the lockdowns Yeah. but it's always struck me that you know it's all or nothing a lockdown is a lockdown It's like leaving a window open on a cold day and there's a constant draft, no matter how high the heat is. So you either do it or you don't. But I also understand it is that balancing act between the economy, society and health. So you need to focus on one and not all of them. You can't compromise. And it's all those numbers that, yes, you can lock down, but then you have a bubble. Fine. Fine. But then you can only meet with six people, or you can have 25 people at a wedding or a funeral or whatever it is. You know, those numbers are arbitrary. Like they're just, it's like David Drum, you know, they're picked out of their hole, really. Still the, still the best
0: line of the whole crowd. Absolutely. Where did you get the six billion? <laughs> picked it out of me. <laughs> I'm just saying, when you're worried about the draft there, that's a generational thing. Oh, yeah. Your mother and my mother hated a draft. Oh, Oh, there's a a terrible draft. (laughs) No, but let's (laughs) get get back to your your big point, right? And this is what we've been saying since the very start of this. There is an economic vaccine for lockdown, and it's called helicopter money. Yes. Well, so had they said, okay, you're absolutely right, full lockdown because we need to do this, then everybody who is in small business would say, that's all very well for you guys because you're getting paid. What are you going to do about us? Yeah. Right? And then they said, well, we're going to give you the COVID payment of six 300 quid a week. And lots of people said to people who, who were still getting paid their full whack, you try living 300 quid a week and see how you feel about it. The vaccine, the economic vaccine for that was, okay, let's drop the helicopter money. Let's borrow from a richer tomorrow to pay for a traumatized today. That's what borrowing is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah then the whole thing could have been managed. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do. But by not doing that, by not having the courage, the economic vision, the economic conviction, what they said to people is, we're going to lock down, but you're going to pay. So then the people who was paid kept saying, well, listen, let us out because clearly we need to earn a living. Whereas that they said to to everybody, we will maybe take 6% of GDP, maybe 5% of GDP, maybe 10% of GDP, and we're going to drop it into the economy right now We're going to borrow for that from the ECB. Suddenly you can lock down all you want because nobody's needing to go back out to work tomorrow, the next day. And I'm talking about the hotels and the restaurants and the bars and the crack economy I talk Mm, about. mm. So this is what kind of annoys me, John, is that there was a pathway economically to getting this right, Mm. to allowing the lockdown to work properly, which would have allowed us to do... The New Zealand approach, which is we do the hard lockdown for two months, we prevent everybody coming in, and away we go. So again, it's a failure of economic vision as well as a failure of medical yeah. cojones. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, like your brother Dickie, Connor's in, in hospital.
2: Connor is in hospital at the moment. Connor's been on the flat of his back for the last two weeks. And uh, by the
0: way, uh, John's brother is Connor. He's known to everyone as Dickie Davis because if you were brought up in the <laughs> 80s there was a great uh, commentator called Dickie Davis and he Big size on him. Yeah. Big, big Ronnie. A fine Ronnie. Kind of a Marty Whelan-esque Ronnie. Yes it is. Like yeah. It is. Exactly. It's a sort of a Narcos Mexico. <laughs> well
2: runny. poor Al Connor, like and I, I I, really do feel for him because and get well to Connor Is he up the road? Is he He's up the road yeah. He's right in okay. Michael's. And this is the weird thing about COVID as well. It got into his house.
0: Into the family like Kifa was saying. Yeah.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, coming through the draft. Coming through the draft, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who left that window open? It's up there beside the
0: immersion. So the all... crimes against Irish <laughs> yeah, families.
2: Exactly. But they, everyone got it in the house. He got it worst of all. And so he was literally on the flat of his back for, for two weeks, you know, uh, coughing, spluttering, finding it really hard to breathe. Susan, his wife, got it, and she has the cough, not feeling 100%, but actually... Not bad, and she spent her time looking after, Look after him. And um, the kids are okay. And the kids, well, Lara got it, and all she had was a scratchy throat. So it's a really weird thing. And you know, my other brother Tony in London, same with him. He was on the flat of his back for two weeks, and his wife Christine was was sick but was fine.
0: I always it's thought there was a weakness in weakness da- There's a there's a re- there's a wee want in that Davis family. But it's funny. Somebody said to me, the COVID has gone from numbers to names. And I thought it was a really good way of
2: oh yeah describing okay. it. So
0: it's gone from you no know, three hundred people, a thousand people to actually Dickie Davis, Tony Davis, yeah. Lara Davis. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And That's that's where we're 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 at. But again, if and Dickie, hope you get well. We'll be looking forward to a few scoops quite soon. And then you can tell us all your war stories, these wounded <laughs> stories, right? Yeah. Okay. Should I say when I was in the flat of me back in Michaels. Uh, but, you know, I think Haskell Donahue, say, okay, we're going to helicopter the money in for the next eight weeks. Mm. Allowing mehol Martin to say, we're locking down. You've no economic discussion. You've no business discussion. That's yeah. over. Yeah. And we go for it. That's That's the solution.
2: Yeah, and here's the other thing as well. is uh, You know the way the ECB are coming up with Europe-wide strategies and solutions for for COVID? You know, lockdowns would have worked an awful lot better, I think, if it was European-wide. So there wouldn't be this kind of... Do you know what I mean? I know it's much, much harder. But that's one of the
0: problems with the EU. So the EU is this sort of very unusual creature where you have the European Council, which is the Council of Ministers, that mm. actually runs it, and they're answerable to every parliament, right? And the European Commission gives suggestions, but they're the bureaucracy, but they've no huge power. This is what the Brits never understood, that all the power is in the European Council, and the Brits had a veto. Yeah, yeah. The Commission is only the bureaucracy. And then, of course, you've got the sort of slight sort of Mickey Mouse European Parliament, yeah, which yeah. doesn't have any real power, should have more power, but doesn't have any real power. But I think even still, I don't think we could do it in Europe. We could do it, but you'd need a much more federal system.
2: Sure, I know, I, I, no, no, I understand that. But
0: yeah. one other thing I want to just touch on is this morning, John. I went on the HSE website in order to figure out where my mother will get the vaccine. Yeah, from whom, when, how? Yeah. Right? There is nothing. You go on the HSC website, go on it. Type into Google, where do I get the vaccine in Ireland? Up will come the HSC website. It's all these, we will vaccinate the old. We will vaccinate the old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no details, So nobody knows where to go. I mean, it is phenomenal. And we've talked about this before. It's a supply chain issue. And yet Ireland has probably got the highest percentage or concentration of supply chain professionals in any country in Europe because our whole economic model is based on supply chains. Mm. And you go on it and it's deeply frustrating now because what we're finding is the cases are going through the roof. The older people who are locked down are saying, how can I be vaccinated? And there's no information. I mean, it's really atrocious. Mm. You know, and your mom's the same. So, I mean, I come back to that idea that we've got prevention, prevention, which is our lockdown strategy. And cure, yeah. which is community immunity acquired either by a vaccine or by exposure. We don't want exposure because that clogs up the hospitals. So we want to accelerate the vaccine. Yeah. And yet, if you go on it right now, there's no concrete information. There's lots of aspiration. You know, we will sure. do this. We will, there's no concrete thing. You turn up at your GP or you turn up at the pharmacy and we have your name on some roll and we will give you a text or we will write to you. Yeah.
2: Nothing like that. I know, we just seem to be so far behind. I mean, you, you tweeted out the story about your mother-in-law.
0: My mother-in-law and Andrea's mother got mm. the vaccine in the Presbyterian Hall in Hollywood. Last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're even using church <laughs> halls up in yeah. the north, you know. And, you know, they're rolling it out properly. Yeah. And what it does mm. is it assuages anxiety. It's not that people say, I've got the jab. I'm going out night clubbing, right? Yeah. I'm going to jabber. It just assuages the older people's anxieties about the future.
2: Yeah. It's a peace that's of a mind key, thing. It's a peace of mind thing. Yeah. Now.
0: that's. New. But Last thing on Aoife's discussion there, which I think is quite interesting, John, and we'll save it for another time, but it refers back to what we talked about the other day, is that maybe we're going into the century of biology. So if you think about...
2: Yeah, that's, this 20th, is interesting.
0: The I 20th think. century is the century of physics, right? So it was Einstein, it was the atom, it was... This Quantum f- physics and... And these guys had the answers. Yeah. And with respect to economics, now economics has always suffered from physics envy, right? So economists always... because it's a
2: spoofers yeah, thing.
0: Yeah, but economists were always pissed off that physics was harder, right? Yeah. So then the economists after the Second World War said, how do we make economics look more like physics? Because people think physics... People who do physics... Are clever,
2: yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
0: So they decided that they would take the rules of physics, which are hard, and apply them to economics. So that's why we have these models with these set rules. And then suddenly you realise humans don't behave like that. Yeah, yeah, it so apply it. doesn't yeah. matter. We let, let's assume away the humanity. Okay. Yeah. We want to. So we want our models to be mathematically perfect. Yeah. So they will be as hard as the physics. So we will get the kudos of being sciency or matzy, right? And that's, I think, because physics became the breakthrough science of the 20th century. If biology now becomes the breakthrough science of the 21st century, then things like economics will take their cue from it and you'll see much more... Organic economics, you'll see much more behavioural economics, you'll see much... Of this idea, if we go back to this Gaia idea,
2: yeah, that the economy
0: yeah. is like a living
2: organism. It's that word, I, I, I think I was saying this to you after we're, our discussion earlier on the week. It's the homeostasis. What you talk about a lot is the homeostasis of economics. The fact
0: that it's always at
2: this of static it's point. O- no, no, it's not static. It's always trying to reach stability yeah. uh, because there's so many Variables. variables. And, but it never quite reaches stability. Because it can't. But that is life. That is what life is.
0: And this is the interesting thing. So once you impose physics mm. on life, you impose a tendency towards no change, right? You These are hard and fast rules yeah. that we can actually govern the world by. But the problem with you and I And humans is we're beautifully unruly and crazy. This is why the lockdown isn't working because people are going out and I'll be grand. Anyway, while we leave it, (laughs) talk to you next week. Now that I have you, why don't you use the rest of this bleeding lockdown to do something useful and learn economics with me? Sign up on Patreon, patreon patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams, and we learn economics together. We'll do a macroeconomic course, and my God, macroeconomics has never been more relevant. We have tutorials every other week. We have questions and answers. We have reading lists. We have the whole gamut, and we'll really equip you to deal with the world you're living in. And for the rest of January, you're gonna be able to get this at a 15% discount on our annual subscription. So again, screw the lockdown. Let's use it properly, use it usefully, and learn economics. patreon.com forward slash David McQuinnis, talk to you soon.